Good morning, church. Oh, I know the mask are on, but we got to better than that. Good morning, church. Hey, I want you to know that online you were louder than in person. I'm not kidding. You were. Online, welcome. I'm Pastor Chase. I'm the Connections Pastor here. I'm so glad you're joining us for first service. As we wrap up, as Pastor Nate said, kingdom first. When we talked about this series, the whole idea behind it was we saw everything happening around us in our culture with the political season kind of coming to a height, especially with the debates. We thought, you know what, we need to have a series about how we as believers respond to our culture in this time. So we decided to tackle that with week one being selflessness. Then Pastor Dan did a great job talking about how our, our words and our actions from James chapter 2, how those matter. And then last week, Pastor Nate talked about how we are not to judge. If you were here, you saw the plank in the eye. This week, I want to talk about a spiritual discipline and a fruit of the Spirit that nobody likes. I've never heard someone say, this is my favorite fruit of the Spirit. We're talking about self-control today. Does anybody think, hey, I've mastered self-control? Anybody here, I've mastered that. Yet yeah, no one. All right? So that's why we're diving in this morning. We're going to talk about how our response as believers need to be controlled. We need to have self-control. Before I dive into the message, though, most importantly, we got to take it up to God. So bow with me. God, we just ask that you be here this morning with us. We ask to be your words and not mine, for your words are wise. God, we ask as we go through Scripture, whether it be in the book of James or Daniel, that whatever's on the pages, we know that is living and breathing Word of God that we read. We ask that those words reflect into our life and we take them out to our community. Pray this on your name. Amen. So this morning I'm going to talk about self-control. But I need to answer a question. Why do we need to talk about self-control? Well, let's look around. As we look what's going on in our climate around us, even in our own lives, you might say, hey, is there much self-control going on? But what's the problem? What is the problem? And I think in the book of James, we identify the problem. James chapter 4, we're not going to be there. We're going to camp out in Daniel 1 most of the day. But James chapter 4 tells us this in verses 1 and 2. What causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not this, that your passions are at war within you? You desire and do not have, so you murder. You covet and cannot obtain, so you fight and quarrel. You do not have because you do not ask. Man, what causes quarrels and what causes fights among you? Is it not that your passions are at war within you? You know what's funny is we, we might think that James is writing this to the world. James is actually talking to the church. Because let's be real, we have this problem in the church. What causes fights and cruels among us? We can talk about the world. We can talk about the political climate. But believers in the room, I, I think this affects us too. There's times of division. There's times of fights and quarreling. And, and what James says is what causes that? Our desires, our passions are at war within us. And, and I think the, the easy answer would be those passions that are at war within us, they're not good. What James is referring to is the sin that's inside of us. Church, I'm going to blow the lid on something this morning. Everyone in here sins or has sinned. All right? Just saying. 
All right. Can we all agree on that? Give me just a head shake. I know we don't like talking loud, so just give me a head shake. All right. I feel like you're listening. All right. So we all have sinned or sin. All right. So great. We agree with that. And what James is saying, that's what the problem is. Those passions that we have within us are what causes us to fight and quarrel. And church, when we realize that, then we realize something else. Sin is never individual, it's always communal. I want to say that again. Sin is never individual, it's always communal. And you're like, Chase, what does that mean? What I mean by that is this. You might think that the sin that you fight, the sin that you face, only you know about it. It's in your closet, no one knows. Do you not think that sin affects other people around you? Well, think about it. Whatever that sin might be, and you might be like, if it's anger, do you really not think your anger affects others around you? Maybe it's greed. Do you not think that greed affects other people around you as you drive for that success and want all the money possible or all the possession possible? If it's envy that you look at what your neighbors have and you're like, I need to have that, I'm going to do everything to get it. You don't think that affects others around you. It affects your household, your family, your kids see it. Well, then maybe you're talking about, well, Chase, I mean, the sin I deal with, no one else knows. It's late at night, no one else knows. Do you not think that sin affects other people around you? Especially if you're in a relationship. You know what I'm talking about. Kids, just ignore me. I'm serious. Sin is never individual. It's always communal. When I was doing student ministry, sometimes the best way to learn this was an object lesson. Who's excited for an object lesson? I am. Yeah, I am. Um, actually, for this object lesson, I actually need a couple volunteers. So guess what? When you sit front row in church with Pastor Chase, this is going to be fun. So Beardman's, come on up. Yeah, give him a hand, guys. Come on, we've got to encourage them. Yeah, all right. All right. All right, big fella, can I have you stand right there for me, sir? Rebecca, come around the other side. Make sure you look at the camera. We want to make sure your beautiful face is on the camera. <clears throat> all right. Yeah, all right. So here's what I want you to do. I have two sins here. You get to assign the sin to your husband, all right, Rebecca? All right. So I got pride and deceit. Now, pride, everybody knows what pride is. This kind of gets a little bit arrogance in there. Deceit's a hard one. So the best way to tell you what deceit is, ah, it's kind of like what the bears are doing right now. Everybody's like really excited about the bears, but we know it's kind of deceptive, right? All right. So deceit, you know, misleading, okay? So which one do you want to assign to your husband? This is not real life, so just, just assign one. Which orange looks, all right, you want to give him pride? Sure. All right, there was no hidden message there. All right. I had to close my eyes. So okay. there, there's deceit. So what this pail is right here is, is life, all right? So I want you to take a step this way, and I want you to take a step this way. And, and this is your life. As you talk about your family, your relationship, your marriage, your kids. So what I'm going to have you do is when I do things, men always go first, because that's just the right way to do it, all right? So, all right, I'm just saying, being sarcastic, guys. So, Corey, when you sin, because we always know that you will sin first, all right? It will never be her, all right? I want you to cast your sin into your life. So throw that sin into your life. Let's see it. Throw that sin into your life. All right. Now, since he is sin, you're probably like, man, I have some sin too. I need to be something to throw. Cast your sin in that life. Come on. Oh, all right. We almost missed. Now, I want you to, I have a question for you. I have a serious question. When you, when Corey cast the sin, did you get wet from that? Yes. When she cast the sin, did you get wet from that? All right, all right, yeah, absolutely, all right. Hey, give him a hand, give him a hand. Thank you, Beardmans. 
And, and church, what I'm saying is, when we think that our sin doesn't affect people around us, we're lying to ourselves, we're lying to our community. Sin is never individual, it's always communal. And when we start to realize that, we realize the need that we have, that we've got to start getting this thing underhand. Because what causes this? Our inner passions that are at fight within us. The sin that we struggle with, we do not covet and you cannot attain, so we fight and quarrel. Let me tell you about a character in Scripture. Let me tell you about a story from a long time ago. Is He's actually my favorite Old Testament character of all time. All right? So we're going to be in Daniel chapter 1. So, so let me give you some backstory on Daniel. So Nebuchadnezzar is over all the Babylonians. You've got Jehoiakim over all the Israelites. And God delivers Jehoiakim into Nebuchadnezzar's hands. So he conquers the land, and Nebuchadnezzar takes people with him to Babylon in the exile. And Daniel is one of them. So where we're going to pick up the story is Daniel has been chosen. He's prominent to be in the court of the Babylonian king Nebuchadnezzar. So Daniel chapter 1, verse 8, starting verse 8 says this, But Daniel resolved that he would not defile himself with the king's food or the wine that he drank. Therefore he asked the chief of the eunuchs to allow him not to defile himself. Verse 9, And God gave Daniel favor and compassion in the sight of the chief of the eunuchs. And the chief of the eunuchs said to Daniel, I fear my lord the king who assigned your food and your drink, for why should he see you, that you are in worse condition than the use of our, your own age? So you would endanger my head with the king. Verse 11, Then Daniel said to the steward, whom the chief of the eunuchs had assigned over Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah, test your servants for ten days. Let us be given vegetables to eat and water to drink. Then let our appearance and the appearance of the youths who eat the king's food be observed by you and deal with your servants according to what you see. Verse 14, so he listened to them in this matter and tested them for ten days. At the end of the ten days, it was seen that they were better in appearance and fatter in flesh than all the youths who ate the king's food. So the steward took away their food and the wine they were to drink and gave them vegetables. So let me tell you what's going on here. Daniel, as a, as a solid Jew, got some dietary restrictions there, all right? We learn all that from Leviticus. And so Daniel wants to stay holy in that. But as his, he's in his, this kingdom, in this empire that, that doesn't believe in their God, not their religion, not their faith, they don't have the same rules. He says, I'm not going to defile myself with this meat that you're wanting to give and this wine that you want me to drink. Just give me vegetables. And the chief servant or the chief eunuch is saying, hey, dude, if I give you vegetables and water, the king is going to be mad at me when you come in looking frail. And I'm going to die. And then Daniel says, no, test me. Test us. By the way, just for some fun background for you, there's three other friends with Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, and Azariah. You learn who those three people are in Daniel chapter 3. That's Meshach, Shadrach, and Abednego from the fiery furnace, just FYI. So as, as these four are being tested, you see that God is with them. Why is God with them? Because they took a stand and they said, we are going to have self-control. Now, if we're talking about food, obviously this guy's not self-controlled. All right, just saying, hands down. 
You tell Chase, well, you get vegetables and water, I'll look at you and be like, you are wrong. <laughs> I was going to say something else, but that probably wasn't great. All right? But this is what Daniel decides to do with his friends. And then all of a sudden we see it. They look great. The rest of the king's court does not. So then the steward took away their food and the wine that they were drinking and gave them vegetables. Do you see? They stood out for God. They were self-controlled. Then all of a sudden, culture starts to change. Culture starts to change. Because they see what's good about following God. Do we see what's good about following God? Do we? Because church, what I'm trying to tell you this morning is this. What you pour in your body is going to pour out. What you pour in your spirit is going to pour out. What you pour in your soul is going to pour out. So for example, if you're giving yourself some daily scripture, if you're giving yourself some daily prayer, you're going to see some patience pour out. You're going to see some understanding pour out. But if all you're pouring in is endless hours on Netflix, if all you're pouring in is just some really bad TV shows, I mean, because there's some bad ones. I'm serious. I was, I was watching some commercials the other night, and, like, they showed this TV show, and, like, it's become popular. Like, it's, it's like Love at First Sight, and then there's Love After Lockup, which was super weird to me, but okay, whatever. And, like, man, like, the things that we have today, man. And if that's all we're pouring into our lives and our minds, are we surprised with our culture today? We shouldn't be. Church, what you pour in, pours out. That's why the church is supposed to be the answer of hope, grace, and peace. Because we're, not, we're supposed to be pouring into our life every single day. Not just on Sunday morning. But in personal discipline and self-control and learning this. And it shows into our life. Let, let me tell you what happens to Daniel and his friends. So when you look at Daniel and you look at the second half of chapter 1. Starting in verse 17, as for these four youths, God gave them learning and skill in all literature and wisdom. And Daniel had understanding in all the visions and dreams. At the end of the time when the king had commanded that they should be brought in, the chief of the eunuchs brought them in before Nebuchadnezzar. And the king spoke with them. And among all of them, none was found like Daniel, Hananiah, Mishael, or Azariah. Therefore, they stood before the king. Verse 20, and in every matter of wisdom and understanding about which the king inquired of them, he found them ten times better than all the, all the magicians, all the enchanters, and all that were in his kingdom. And Daniel was there until the first year of King Cyrus. couple things I want to point out about that. couple things. Because let's just not give Daniel credit. You see God move. You see somebody that followed God and was disciplined. And God said, here, here's some tools you're going to need. And then all of a sudden along the way, when he encounters the foe, Nebuchadnezzar, who's not a believer, he finds him more apt to handle the concerns than all of, all of his magicians, all of his enchanters. And guess what? God gets the glory. Because God has given those tools because of his self-control. Because of his willingness to stand firm. I gave you the problem from James chapter 4 at the beginning of this message. 
And I want to go a little a couple more verses in to James 4. James 4, 8 says this. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That's a strong verse. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, you sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. I want to have just an, I want to say one thing this morning. And if you only hear one thing, I want you to hear this. We in the church and we as believers, and maybe you're not a believer and that's fine too, but hear me still. We don't think we can stop sinning. Hear me on that. We don't think we can stop sinning. We automatically just assume, hey, to sin is human, so in order to be human you have to sin. And church, if we have that position, I have a problem with that position. Because if I truly believe scripture, that when Christ came to earth, that he was fully human, then I can't rationalize that. Now, guys, hear me. I'm not saying that anybody in here can be perfect like Christ. It's not going to happen. But that's why Paul gives us the mission. Paul tells us that we need to strive after Christ. That's the goal. It wasn't to be as good as Paul. It wasn't to be as good as Peter. It wasn't to be as good as Stephen. It wasn't to be as good as Daniel. It wasn't to be as good as Pastor Dan. It wasn't as good to be as Miss Jessica. It wasn't as good to be like Pastor Lizzie. It was supposed to be Jesus. That's the goal. And the only reason Paul would say that's the goal is if we that belong to Christ could realize we can stop sinning. Most of the time. I know that's a hard challenge. I know that might seem unrealistic. But man, when we start lying to ourselves and be like, oh, we're always going to sin, so we might as well be okay with it. Let me give you a, some, a side story. Just not real, but it's a side story. It's like when I hear a churchgoer talk to a non-Christian outside the walls of the church. And I hear this. Dude, you're going to love coming to church. Man, there's some things about life there. I don't want to be there for that. You know, that's how the non-believer responds. And the believer responds with this. The church girl responds with, dude, I'm the same as you. I just go to church. Guys, I want you to hear me on that. If that's your belief, we miss the boat. Where's the hope in that? Where's the hope when we tell the world, hey, we're the same, nothing's changed, I just go to church. Oh man, we missed the cross. And more importantly, we just didn't miss the cross because maybe you got grace figured out, but you missed the resurrection. That Christ came out three days later out of the tomb, defeated death, kicked it in the face, and said, you're going to live a new life. 2 Corinthians 5.17, for if you belong to Jesus, you have been made new. My goodness, do we take hold of that church? Do we believe that? Because we should have self-control to know that, hey, we can stop sinning all the time. We don't have to sin constantly. Because this method of church and what we should believe here is, yes, the doors are open to come as you are, but don't stay as you are. And I, I, hear, I hear you. This is a hard message to close out kingdom first. But let's be honest, I didn't pick the two sins of pride and deceit just for fun. We're in this election cycle, and I'll be honest, if I were to look at the election cycle and look at our world today, these would be some two big ones. 
These would be some common players. And church, I'm going to ask you a question, believers in here, have you deceived yourself? Has Satan deceived you that you can't stop sinning? Has Satan deceived you that you are the only one affected by your sin, that it stays in your closet, nobody else knows about it, and it's okay? Because that's a lie. Because you serve and you believe in a risen Savior that took that to the cross, and you have now an example to try to live up to, yes, you will never attain it. But our goal should be, here's my goal as a pastor, I'll tell you right now what my goal is, to be less of a hypocrite every single day. That is my goal on my path to Christ. Because if I woke up every morning and said, man, I'm going to be like Christ, I would feel like a failure every day. So what I say is on my way to be like Christ, I'm going to be less of a hypocrite every single day. Now let me give some of you in here some hope. There are days that I do well. And then there are days that I don't do well. And you are going to have both those days. But I promise you, when you look over a six-month, a 12-month, an 18-month period of time, you will see progress. It's kind of like when I run into some like old buddies from high school or I talk to some people and they say, man, high school was the greatest time of my life. And I respond with, you did something wrong. I'm serious. So if you belong to Jesus and you're saying, hey, man, before I knew Jesus was the best time of my life, I'm going to tell you, I don't think you've met Jesus. Because the Jesus that I met found me broken, found me in want, found me in need, and said, come with me, child, and I'm going to make you new. And that's not just in my prayer life, guys. That says that in Scripture. And I own that, and I want to own that, and I want to believe that, and I have a yearning for that. So yes, when we come into the church, it's as you are. But we can't stay as we are. Because where's the hope if we stay as we are? So let me give you the breakdown this morning. Normally we don't do this as pastors, but I want to give you like the structure of the message this morning. We started off in James chapter 4 with the problem that we have today is what causes quarrels and fights among us is our inner desires, the sins that battle within us. And then to counteract that, I showed you a story from Daniel chapter 1 where Daniel stood firm, had self-control and said, no, you can do this. God blesses us through obedience. And then we walk back and we see James also say, hey, if you draw near to God, he will draw near to you. So cleanse our hands. Repent. That's the call. Draw near to God. He will draw near to you. And we need to just give over our sin and our garbage to God. And now to close this morning, I want to go to what Paul writes in Romans. Paul writes this in Romans chapter 12. Starting in verse 1. I appeal to you, therefore, brothers, by the mercies of God, to present your bodies as a living sacrifice, holy and acceptable to God, which is your spiritual worship. Listen to verse 2. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind, that by testing you may discern what is the will of God, what is good, acceptable, and perfect. That's Romans 12, 1 and 2. Do you hear it? Offer our bodies as living sacrifices, holy and acceptable to God. That's our spiritual act of worship. But verse 2 is so important. Do not be conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewal of your mind. What I said this morning was maybe that you have missed that boat. And it's okay. 
We're not going to judge, because I'll be honest, we all got planks somewhere in our eye at some point. We're not going to judge, but we don't want to miss it. Yeah, Jesus took it to the cross, and we have grace because of our sins, but maybe you got that figured out, but you don't realize that three days later, the Lord that we serve and we believe in defeated something that we could not defeat, and that was death. But because he defeated death, we get to. Satan doesn't have power over that anymore. We don't have to fear death as believers because with death comes glory. And God is going to have us in community with him. Man, that's awesome. Guys, that should excite us in this place. Are we excited that someday we're going to spend eternity with the Father? Are we excited that, yes, we had this garbage and trash in our life and God found us at the foot of the cross and Jesus saved us? So take this mission from me this morning. Take this from me this morning. I believe in you. That you can do better. I believe in myself that I can do better. Now, this isn't some hoorah speech. This isn't some, like, man, feel-good speech. Let's do better in life so God gives us wealth. That's not this at all. Because what I'm giving is way harder than that. We can stop sinning the amount we do. We can have some God-given self-control. Ready? We can slow our fingers on the keyboard and stop lashing out at people. Because guess what? The world's got enough of that. We talk about kingdom first. You know what kingdom first is? Kingdom first is love. That we should love our enemies. We should love people that have different point of views. Because we, as a church, have the hope of Jesus Christ. And that's what people need. I needed it. And somebody found me. And thank God they did. And everyone in here probably has that story that when you were found and you realized that, yeah, I do need this Jesus. So this morning, you have that opportunity. If you want to repent and you want to just call on Jesus, do that in your prayer time, and I'm going to pray over you in a minute for that. But every believer in here and online, we're going to do something together to close out the sermon. We're going to take communion together. We're going to remember that Jesus sacrificed himself on the cross, that God sent his son. I understand if you don't feel comfortable removing the mask, that is fine. But just for a brief second, we're going to take communion together. If you want to do it afterwards, you can do that. That's fine. And so what you have here, so be careful as you open it because the first layer, it's a thin plastic. It covers the body. It covers the wafer. And then you pull the whole tab, and then you got the juice. Yes, this is symbolism. This is the body and blood of Christ. But what this represents is God sending his son, saying, guess what? Humanity, you have fallen into sin, but I want you. I desire you. I yearn for you. Draw near to me, and I will draw near to you. So this morning, let's take the body together. Let's do that together. On the night before that Jesus was going to be, when Jesus was going to be betrayed, the night before his death, Jesus took the cup and he said, this is the blood of the new covenant. Do this in remembrance of me. Church, as we take this this morning, thousands of years later, 
Do you still believe in the blood of Christ, that it covers your sin, that you are forgiven? Let's take that this morning too. Let's pray. Merciful God, we come to you this morning as a body of believers and maybe some that are not, and that's okay. But we humbly come to you. We ask that as we face a world that has what seems to be a lot of opposition in it, as we face a world that doesn't have strong values anymore that we remember when we were growing up, as we face our even our own country where we don't see the love of Christ too often and all we see is calamity and discord and dysfunction, we know that you've given the world the answer. And the answer was your son, Jesus Christ. And we also know that we as the church were meant to be the instrument that carried the hope of Jesus to the world. So as we look out, maybe we're not doing a good enough job. So God, spurn us on. Open our hearts. Mold us into who you want us to be. May we have a steady hand of you on us for self-control. Watch our words. Watch our actions. May we not be selfish people, and may we show love and not judgment, God. Right now, I want to pray for a certain group in the room. Maybe some of us in the room have realized, yes, I believe the cross, I believe I'm saved, but I don't know about this, this hope I have in the resurrection that I can be made new, that I can live a life that's not dictated by Satan and sin. So I want to give myself over to that. I want to give myself over to God and not this way of life that I've been living. If that's your prayer this morning, just say, God, hear my prayer. And God hears our prayers. Maybe you've been just convicted by the message this morning of just needing some self-control. I know I do. God, give me some more self-control with my words, with my actions, with my mind. If that's your prayer this morning, you say, God, hear my prayer. God, I believe that you are at work to do wonders. Because let's be honest, that's all you, that you do is wondrous work. You've done it in my life. You've done it in the lives of many others. God, continue to shape our nation. We lift up all of our leaders to you no matter where they're at. We ask that they come to you and they find the cross. God, we also lift up our world to you. May we go out and seek and save the lost because that is our mission and our calling. Embolden us. May we be like Daniel. Praise in your name. In the name of your son, Jesus Christ. Amen.